We're going to be in Matthew 13. As you are finding your way there, we're going to look at verse 11. I'm going to start us off here by praying. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for a chance to come today and praise you. Lord, we lift up Pastor Matt and his wife and um, pray that you would bless their time, Lord, for someone who has given his life over to you, Lord, and studied you his whole life and and desires to um, bless your people, Father, I pray that um, this time for him in Israel would be a, a, a great time of spiritual renewal, Lord, that um, as much as he studied you, Father, I pray that Matt in this time in Israel would see you in a new way, Lord, that, that the depths of you and your kingdom that you are building, Lord, would be revealed in a way that he has not yet seen. And so I thank you for the work that you're doing through them, and I pray that you would bring them back safely. We pray a blessing on those that are helping with kiddos during this time, that you would um, help that be a seamless um, experience for everybody. And lastly, Father, we thank you that this weekend we get to celebrate Memorial Day weekend. And for those that have some time off or even no time off, Lord, I pray that we would take time either way to, to really consider the, the price paid for freedom. As a Christian, we know we know the value of freedom, and Lord, we should have a, a very um, grateful heart for it. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be contemplative, and we would be reflective, and we would be thankful for those who stepped up to say, freedom is worth me giving my life for. And so I pray that um, families that have lost those that have done that, Lord, that they would be blessed, and that they would be honored, and that they would um, that they would know that lives were not lived in vain, Lord. Thank you for your word. We pray that you would bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in Matthew thirteen eleven. There are almost 60 scriptures in this chapter. We will not be going through that many. We're going to look first at just 11. It says in verse 11, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. There are several different parables throughout this section, and Jesus is repeatedly teaching in parables, and we are going to look at those parables. And I, I love the fact that he uses them because in telling a parable or a story, this beautiful thing happens where we feel this connection, where we feel a better understanding where we feel like we know because we're seeing it played out in a person's life. And I'm so glad that Jesus teaches this way and is able to do that. It's a lesson for me. As, as 10 years as a public school teacher, Jesus is a much better teacher than me because I, I was thinking about this the other day. I was at home, just my daughter and I. She's a nine-year-old, third grader. And it's her and I in the kitchen, and I'm um, kind of got my back to her. We got this little island thing. She usually does her homework. I'm trying to get her some food together, and my wife is picking up the boys from a practice or something, and she is the youngest of three. We have two older boys, and she just, boom, hits me with this. Just gets home, whatever it is, and puts her stuff down, and I'm expecting like some math question. Got my back to her, and she's like, Dad, um, I've got a question. I'm like, yeah, go ahead. She's all, um, does something need to happen for mom to have a baby? I have my back to her, and my face is just, okay, remain calm, remain calm, uh, and what do I say? Okay. <laughs> so, I said, well, <laughs> let's see. 
And then I launched into this extremely confusing story about eggs and mammals, and, and then I rabbit-trailed onto, yeah, you remember how we had ducks? Remember how they had eggs? And then I rabbit-trailed again, yeah, remember how we had to lock up the, the, the nest with that gate so, so the foxes wouldn't get in? And, oh, man. And then remember how some of them were little baby ducklings? And, and I just kept going all over the place. And she's looking at me like, you are pathetic. You call yourself a teacher? This is pathetic. And I said, wait, aren't you working on math? Let's, what are you working on? Let's get back to the math, okay? Let me see your math. And I, I, I quickly skirted that question. And then I called my wife and I'm like, okay, Avery just asked this. The boys were in fifth grade. The deal was, I'm the dad, I talk to the boys. The deal is, you're the mom, you talk to our daughter. I realize that might not be the perfect way to do it, but that's how we did it in our house. And our boys were fifth graders and I hit them with that, and they weren't ready. They didn't care. It was football and sports and blah, blah, blah. And then I dropped this on them, and they were just like, they were mad at me for like a week. They're like, what? What? And our daughter, here she is in third grade, and she's like, yeah, yeah, what's going on? And I'm like, okay, thank God, honey, you get to take this one. Here you go. But I'm so thankful that Jesus is so much better of a teacher than I am. Jesus connects us with these stories, these parables I was watching kids yesterday in the parade. They're going through with these floats. And some of the floats, awesome job. Some of you guys, God bless you. Must have been a busy week. Tough. Put something together. I got you. It was cool. I love it. Love Boatnik parade and all that stuff. Love seeing the kids go through there. But you've got these six-year-olds who are just so proud to be walking a mile and a half in the heat in a straight line with this group of people, where else in the world can you get a six-year-old to follow directions like that for a mile and a half in the heat to just keep walking with everybody, except in this parade? And I'm watching them. Their faces showed that they were so proud to be a part of that. They were a part of something. There was a story being told, and they were a part of that. Of that. And that's what happens for us. We want to be, our desire is to be connected to this. We want to be in that. We want to be a part of something. And Jesus is building something amazing, bigger than a boatnik parade, that's for sure. We see this in social media, for sure. The reason we like to watch the pictures and the stories unfolding and we comment and we interact is because we like that. We want to be a part of it. We, want, we see the story developing and we want to be in on that story. And Jesus uses these parables for that reason so that we can be connected. So these images are in our mind. And he starts by talking about the sower. And we're not going to read through this. Wednesday night, we will go through the different types of soil. And we will look, about, look at the prophecy spoken of in this section in chapter 13 in Isaiah 6 that Jesus talks about. He refers to it. Join us Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. In fact, high school group is going to join us here. So if you have a high schooler or if you are in high school, plan on meeting here. We're going to have our high school worship team, our high school leaders, myself. Um, we are all going to meet here. So, But in summary, here's what Jesus says. He says the word of God is like, like these seeds. And he gives these four different types of soil that they fall on. He says there's one, there's this path, and the birds, they just come along and they devour it. It never really has a chance to grow. And then, and then there's another type of soil that's this rocky ground. He says there's no depth. It just gets scorched and dies off. 
There's this other type of ground, and, and I think we see this a lot in the modern day church. It's among the thorns, this soil. And he says, the, the, the thorns choke out the word of God. And Jesus explains it later in this chapter. He says, the thorns are the cares of this world. The things in this world that are more attractive than God's word, they choke out God's word. The things like comparison and fear and, and the desire to gather and accumulate more things and have more time off and more vacation and more this and more that and more this. Those are the cares of the world and they choke out the work being done in his kingdom. And then finally, the fourth one is the good soil. He says a hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. And we look around and there's people in this body. We look at it and they're like, man, they are killing it. They are slaying life right now. What is going on? They have good soil. They have eliminated the rocks and the thorns and the cares of this world are not choking out the work that God wants to do in their lives. And they are a great blessing and encouragement to us. And like I said, we're going to look more at that on Wednesday. And then Jesus talks about weeds and wheat in verse 24. We're going to read 24 through 30 together. He says, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? Verse 29. But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first, bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Jesus gives an illustration here, really, ultimately, of his kingdom and coming judgment. He says, the sower is the son of man, and the field, there's a field, it's the world, it's not the church. He says, there's good seed, those are the sons of... King, the sons of the kingdom. There are weeds, the sons of the evil one, and there is the enemy. The enemy, the same word used is for the evil one, the devil, Satan, all the same thing. Jesus refers to the same thing here. And ultimately what Jesus shares is that yes, there is a difference between good and evil, and there is a father for each one, and there is a destiny for the sons of the evil one, and there is a great and glorious destiny for the sons of the kingdom. <clears throat> but Jesus makes an interesting comment here that caused me to pause for a second. He says, there are weeds, and I want you to leave them there lest you uproot the wheat The weed, the word used for weed is a word, I think it's pronounced darnell. And before the wheat is harvested, this darnell actually looks just like wheat. You can't recognize the difference until they're fully grown, until they reach maturity. And Jesus says, no, don't pull those out. I know those are there, that they're in the world. There is weeds in the world. Leave them there. I don't want you to uproot the wheat. And I just, for me, looking at that, I'm not... What a picture of our, of our Father in heaven and how long-suffering and patient He is. And He desires that none would perish, but that all would be saved. And He says, leave them there. 
there in the world. But what amazes me for us as Christians is that sometimes we act so surprised by this that there's actually weeds in the world. Like in the last couple of years, it's whether it's gay marriage or Bruce Jenner or Starbucks cups or Target's bathrooms or this week, somebody making a push to get Captain America a boyfriend in the next movie. I'm like, what? Like all of these things are crazy. They're crazy. I completely agree. But we as Christians should not be shocked. We should not be shocked. We cannot be running around freaking out like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening. Jesus says there's weeds. They're there. I'm leaving them there. Just let them be. At the coming judgment, I'll take care of it. But you have to live amongst that. It's there. And so can we be people that understand that and not freak out? It amazes me how we have, immediately you go to social media and it's like, Christians hate the world and then the world hate the Christians and then the next phase of it is, is that the Christians are, there's some Christians that are mad at other Christians and like, well, I'm going to go to Target anyway and I'm going to do this and that and then, and it's just like, and then meanwhile, you half, halfway around the world, we have missionaries that are completely out of touch with those things who are serving orphans and widows and bringing water to villages that don't have water. And they're like, what? Starbucks did what? Okay, cool. I've got these kids that I got to take care of, okay? There's business to be done in God's kingdom. I'm not really concerned with that. Can we be people that understand that? Because Jesus says something that we should understand as Christians. He says in, in chapter 16 coming up, he says, listen, I'm building my kingdom and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Amen? We do not have to be a scared, freaked out, worried people taking all of our cares and concerns and arguments to Facebook and Twitter and social media. We don't have to be concerned because Jesus certainly is not. The gates of hell will not prevail. Red Starbucks cups are not going to affect my kingdom. I don't care. Bathrooms at Target, okay, whatever. I'm building a kingdom. Don't be afraid. So we should not be people who are afraid. Now, the purpose of the parables is what we're going to talk about. There are some great things to be learned in in these parables, but Jesus explains them for us. We're not going to go into that right now. We're going to look at the purpose of these. And first off, the first thing that stands out to me is Jesus is repeatedly using this picture of, of soil He's using this picture of weeds and wheat. He's, he's using this picture of a harvest. And Jesus continually talks about this thing being like farming. And it, is, it hits home for the culture, no doubt. He uses an illustration that hits home for that culture. They would understand and get that. But there is, as always with Jesus, a little deeper thing going on here. And Jesus wants us to understand that farming is a process. It's not something that happens overnight. And if you've been a Christian any length of time, you know this. It's not, hey, I gave my life to the Lord and everything has been awesome ever since. I've been killing it every day of my life since then and there's never been one bad moment in my life. That doesn't happen. That's a fairy tale. We know that. It is a process because in, in farming, there is toil and there is tilling and there is planting and there is harvesting and there is watering and, and there, you know what? There are droughts. Anybody ever been in a drought? I have. 
And it happened while I was a Christian. Anybody ever felt like they were in a barren land? Am I the only one? Anybody ever been in a barren land? Wondering what's going on? Man, I, had a good, I thought I had good soil. And then through the process of God working on my heart, eventually a harvest came. The rains came. God opened up the floodgates. And this great season of my life came. But it, all the while is a process that we need to understand is not an easy one because it is Memorial Day weekend and I used to teach history. I have to share one of my favorite quotes from throughout history. December 23rd, 1776, opposite the city of Trenton, across the Delaware River, there was the Continental Army. The Continental Army was led by George Washington. This was five months after the Declaration of Independence was signed. And these soldiers were not doing well. They were getting killed. It was not working. Barefoot, starving, cold, in the snow, depleted, some of them quitting, wanting to back out. No pay. They were not getting paid. They were about to face hired mercenaries. The British army hired, with their riches, they hired German mercenaries that were stationed at Trenton in New Jersey. They were paid mercenaries to kill the Continental Army. This ragtag bunch of volunteers who were fighting for freedom. They're fighting for freedom. They knew the value of freedom. And George Washington, with their back against the wall, he says, here's what we're going to do. We are going to march miles, miles through the snow. I know some of you don't have feet, or feet, uh, that would be tough. Some of you don't have shoes. They may, some probably didn't actually have feet. Some of you don't have jackets. Some of you haven't eaten in days. We're going to march through the night. We're going to cross the icy Delaware River. We are going to attack the Haitians when they least expect it, because Christmas would have been celebrated for them on December 24th. And while they're least expecting it, Outmanned, outmatched, we will attack, even though it will be tough. And Thomas Paine wrote what is called the crisis. Now, Thomas Paine is not a Christian. He was a deist. He believed in God and a higher power, but he was not quite sure what church was on track, and he wasn't really, he didn't really know. But he is not even a Christian, and he understands, he understands the Christian walk. In my opinion, this speaks so clearly to me as a Christian. He says this right here. You guys have heard this before. He says, these are the times that try men's souls. The summer soldier, the guy who wants it easy, and the sunshine patriot will in this crisis shrink from the service of their country. But he that stands by it now deserves the love and thanks of man and woman. Tyranny, like hell, is not easily conquered, yet we have this consolation with us that the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. What we obtain too cheap, we esteem too lightly. It is dearness only that gives everything its value. Heaven knows how to put a proper price upon its goods, and it would be strange indeed if so celestial an article, such a valuable thing as freedom, should not be so highly rated. Thomas Paine says, freedom is worth it. And in this struggle, it will be difficult, but if it were not difficult, it would not be worth it. And we as Christians have to know the same thing. 
we have freedom in Christ. We have been granted freedom from sin in a much bigger kingdom, a kingdom where God, the God of heaven, reigns and rules. And he says there's going to be a little bit of toil, but it is so worth it. It is so worth it. Matt calls it kings and queens in training, and he's going to be talking more about this in the coming months. I'm excited to hear what he has to say about it, but it really is this process that he's talking about that Jesus mentions in these parables that we are to be free people, kids in God's kingdom. Let's look at verse 11 again and then verse 43. This is what I want us to get. Verse 11. To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Verse 43, Jesus says, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Jesus continually, continually is speaking throughout Matthew, throughout the New Testament, about this coming kingdom that he is building. He's talking about all kinds of other things too. But there's a bigger thing, as always, with Jesus. Jesus is always, we're looking right here, and Jesus is looking this far. We're setting the bar right here, and Jesus is saying, no, right here. Listen, yeah, I'm talking about this, but I'm talking about something bigger than that. I'm building a kingdom, and I want my sons and daughters to to be kings and queens in this kingdom that I am building. And listen, here's how I am doing it. I'm not doing it like you do it. I'm not doing it like the world does. Jesus goes on to share, and I'm not going to read all of it, but he goes through in verse 15. He says, they have ears but can't hear. They have eyes but can't see. They have hearts that have been hardened. But he said, blessed are your eyes for they see. Blessed are your ears for they hear. And at the end of 43, he says, he who has ears, let him hear. Jesus keeps saying, listen, watch, look. Don't let your heart get hard. Listen, watch, look. Don't have a hard heart. Look at what I am doing. Jesus keeps telling us to listen. Jesus says, I'm building a kingdom. I'm looking for brave and courageous people to build it. I'm not going to give them a sword. I am not going to give them a shield. I'm not going to give them any weapon that you might use. I'm giving them the words of their testimony. I'm giving them vision to see brokenhearted people and to share the work and the testimony of what I'm doing in your life so that they might be built up. I'm building a kingdom and I'm doing it different than you do. I'm going after my people and I'm going to use you to share the good news. Listen, stop, take a look around, talk with somebody, ask them how they're doing. Share what God's doing in your life. Here's what you're going to find out. You're going to get one of two things. You're either going to get somebody who's on track, who's talking about what God has done in their life, and they're giving all the glory and credit and due to God. Or you're going to find somebody who's off track, who may be sharing something worldly with you, but if you listen and talk with them long enough, you're going to discover something that they have that everybody else has. They have this brokenheartedness inside that. And you listen carefully And pray that God gives you wisdom and you're going to recognize that they need to hear a word that you have for them. That there is something from God's truth that you can share with that person that will build them up, that will build his kingdom, that will bring his kids into his kingdom. It took me a while to get this. 
But I remember teaching sixth grade language arts one year with uh, social studies and language arts, and I had a writing class this one year. I had this sixth grader, and <clears throat> they had to write about a difficult time in their life. And this young man um, very eloquently, very maturely, very just with some very spiritual depth went on to talk about how he was nearing the one-year anniversary of finding out that his mom had terminal cancer. Um, He shared about, in that essay, how God was working in his life and how since her death, God was continuing to hold him in his hands and God was being glorified through it all. And I have a 12-year-old son Um, who's close with his mom. And they have this great relationship. And so, in reading this, my heart breaks. But my faith is built up because what the world would look at and say, that's crazy. Are you kidding me? What kind of God would allow that to happen? And this boy ends his essay by saying, My mom gave her life to the Lord years ago. And the hope I have is that one day we will be reunited because I've given my life to the Lord. And God is good. And one day we will reign together forever. And I'm an adult man. Amen. I'm an adult man. And this 12-year-old is ministering to my heart And my faith is being built up because of the words and the story and the broken heart that he is sharing and the glory and due and credit being given to our king and the kingdom. And God's kingdom gets a little stronger when that happens. I went home and I told my wife, I said, this is, God's word is of utmost priority. And the stories he is telling through his people are right behind it. We have got to stop and take time to listen to what God is speaking through his people, whether it's brokenheartedness or whether it's testimony of the work that God has been doing in their life. And so I've tried to purpose myself to do this, whether it's taking a look at uh, a young man who's serving here in a church. Um, I don't know if James Wiseman is here, but I saw I keep seeing him. I'm like, man, this guy's just like all over and he's doing these great things. And I'm like, can we go get coffee? And I sit down with him at coffee and we talk about what God has done in his life. And in an hour, I've got goosebumps and tears and goosebumps and tears. And I'm like, you were on the brink and then God redeemed you. And then you were back on the brink and then you were redeemed. And God's kingdom is built up. And Dalian and I, one late night after a Saturday night worship, he's telling me what God has saved him from and the work that God is doing in his life. And it's a high school summer camp with Andrew Wallace who's telling me about the childhood he had and where he's at now praising God. And then my faith is built up. And at the 10 a.m. service a few weeks ago, a few months ago, there's this guy I see, he keeps showing up and he's, he's familiar to me because we know a lot of the same people, but I don't know him. And each week I see him getting closer and closer and closer to the stage and the hands are getting higher and higher and higher as he's worshiping God. And finally I'm like, what's your name? He said, my name is Clayton Martin. I'm like, we have a lot of the same friends. I love the way you worship God. 
I want to know your story. And so we go and we sit down and he shares what broken hearted things he has experienced. And he tells me this with this giant smile on his face and about how good God is and how great he is and what the work that he is doing in his life. And my faith is built up and the kingdom gets stronger. And then a few weeks later, he's getting baptized. And then a few weeks later, we're like, let's get a Bible study going. And then just a few days ago, we're sitting at this restaurant and we've got these guys, young guys around us and they're asking these great questions about God and we're studying through this book together and they're blowing my mind with the stuff. They're like, well, what about this? And then what about this? And I want to bring this person. Can we bring this friend? And I want to invite this person because they want to draw, draw closer to God. And the kingdom grows. My faith gets built up. Testimonies are shared. Connections are made. <clears throat> and it's a process. As we experience this, we have to know that it is a process. In the 1920s, there were two little girls that had moms that died right around the same time. One lived in Oakland, California, and one lived in Dublin, Ireland. Both of them lost their moms, and both of them had dads who were alcoholics and not seen fit to raise them. And so they were um, adopted by a local orphanage some nuns at a Catholic church in Oakland and some nuns at a Catholic church in Dublin, Ireland adopted these little girls and their siblings and they raised them until adulthood. And these young girls would grow up to be women that understood that God had ordained every day, every day of their life, that God had made provision for them, that God had protected them and these two young girls ended up becoming my grandmas. And when I was a young boy, they would share how faithful our God is with me. And in, in fact, uh, one of my grandmas said I was going to be a priest one of these days. And I was like, I don't know, that, that seems kind of scary. That guy with the robe and, and I don't think I want to do that. I think she, she, she died when I was in elementary school. But she was kind of close, being at Edgewater, kind of, I guess. But had she seen me in high school and in college when I was wandering and lost and choked out by the cares of the world, she may have questioned the soil. She may have questioned what God was doing. She may have wondered where I would end up. But Isaiah 59.1 says that God's arm is not too short to save and that his ears are not too dull to hear God hears the prayers that we have for the unsaved, for our family members, for our friends. And those people that seem so lost like I was, God's arm is not short. God's arm is not short. And it's funny because years later, when I was in college and <clears throat> working at a radio station here in town, a church was planted right below me. God's funny that way. And he brought this young lady who would end up being my wife later on. We were friends first. For a few months, our friendship would develop into something where we were kind of having feelings for each other and we were drawing closer and she sat me down and she had, me a, she had a very important talk with me. Um, she said, you're kind of coming to church with me and you know, I, you're kind of curious and this stuff, but she said, I need you to know something. I'm very, very serious about Jesus. And I personally at that stage in my life was not. I was curious, I wasn't serious. She said, I am very serious about Jesus. 
and I have feelings for you, but whether you're with me or not, I'm drawing closer to him. I was like, whoa, okay. And it was so attractive. If you're a single person in here, my wife loved Jesus more than she loved me. She cared more about Jesus and the plan that Jesus had for her life than she cared about me. And that, in that strength, I wanted what she had. I didn't just want to have a relationship with her. I wanted what she had. I wanted that faith and that strength and that stability that she had in the Lord. She was brave and courageous and sat me down and had a talk. She was not choked out by the cares of the world. She could have easily been. She grew up in a rich, wealthy Southern California family, grandparents, uh, 100-year-old global shipbuilding company with multi-million dollar yachts that they would go vacation on during the summer. And her grandpa was starting running back at Texas and her high school sweetheart was USC running back and an NFL running back. And she, by the way, she dumped him because she was serious about Jesus. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes I'm like, could I be friends with him? Like, no. <laughs> Would you care? Like, could you, could you still call him maybe? No. She didn't care. She didn't care. I don't care about the money. I don't care about the fame. She was at a point in her life where she said, I want Jesus. And I'm going to Oregon. I'm going to go to U of O. And I'm going to draw closer to the Lord. And I just happen to be along the route there. She's like, with me or not, this is where I'm headed. And I'm so thankful for the boldness she had. She had a boldness where she was able to sit down and say, listen, this is it. Here's the soil. Here is the dirt. Here is the redemptive work that God has done in my life. And I want that for us as a body where we would be brave and courageous people that sit down and say, hey, listen, I got to tell you what God's doing in my life. This is where I was. This is the dirt. This is the soil. This is what God is doing in my life. If you're looking around and you see people that have it all figured out, go ask them. And please, if you're one of those people that has it all figured out, make sure that you tell this person that you don't have it all figured out. Take them back in time to that point where God did a 180 with your life and put you on a trajectory where now, yeah, you have good soil and you're killing it in life because God and what he did. Take them back to that moment, please. Because listen, here's the thing that everybody wants I know sometimes it's hard to share our faith with people, but listen, everybody wants to know. Everybody wants to hear it. Everybody, the person who's really, really successful, they want to know that there's more. There has got to be more than this money and this stuff and these things. There's got to be more. They want to know that. And the person who's struggling and brokenhearted and down, they want to know there's hope. They want to know. Don't let the enemy hold you back. They want to know. They want to know about what's going on in the kingdom. Be brave, courageous people. Listen to what they're struggling with. Listen to their heart and say, listen, we have a hope. My struggle is a little bit different, but we have a hope. That's what I loved about Selena. She said, you know what? Here it is. You know, I've I've, I've had my own struggles. You have your struggles. I love you. It's not defining me. My struggles aren't defining me because I'm moving forward in in his kingdom, and I want that for you too. So, talking about the boatnik floats and parades, you know, and people wanting to be a part of that and, and be a part of something bigger. And my son, 
who's an eighth grader. He's not here right now. Thank goodness I can talk to him or talk about him. Um, he's a great, great young man. But I don't know what it is about seventh and eighth grade, teenage stuff going on or whatever. Like, they have these moments. Sean, you, you know, you can relate. They have these moments where the world is about them, right? You're like, wait a second. We never in our lives taught you that. Why is everything about you right now? What is going on? Where is my child? I don't even know who you are right now. And there's these, in between these moments of me wanting to throttle him, I stop and I take a listen to his heart, practice what I'm preaching right now, check in with him and see how he's doing. And then I hear, he tells me, you know, hey, dad, this cool thing happened today. And I'm like, okay, yeah, what, what was it? Tell me about it. And he's like, well, we're playing in PE, this game called Gator Ball. I don't exa- know exactly how it works, but they run around, they throw a ball, and they've got to get in the end zone and score, essentially. And he's like, there's this one kid. You know that one kid in PE who just always stands there? Like, they never move. They're so mad that they have to do PE. Some of you may have been that way. PE was the highlight of my day, but some of you were like this kid just like, <sighs> he's like, Dad, he doesn't do anything. He doesn't, oh, he's so frustrating. But then he's like, you know what? I decided to include him today. I decided to include him. And he said, I went up to him and I said, I said, hey, listen, go in the end zone. I'm going to get the ball. I'm going to run it down to you. I'm going to throw it to you so you can score. He said, the kid looks at him and he's like, he's <sighs> <laughs> just like, okay. So he goes and he gets in the end zone. And he's waiting there for him. My son's telling me all the work. He almost got the ball, and then he didn't. And then he had to go get it, and uh, all this stuff that he's going through. And he finally gets it, and he gets it down to him, and he throws it into the end zone. And the kid, like, it comes, he's like, I didn't know if he was going to catch it or not. And then it, boom, and he caught it. And he said, Dad, he got this huge, huge smile. And he was so proud of himself in that moment. And he said, it was funny, because he goes, I don't really know this kid. But he said it was so funny, because the rest of the day, Every class that we had together, when he saw me in the hallway, he just would like come up to me and he'd just be like, thank you. Thanks for doing that. Thank you. He said he thanked me all day long. He said it wasn't really that big of a deal. I said, you know what, son? That's what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is building a kingdom, and he wants more and more kids in his kingdom. And I said, what you did today was grew his kingdom. You shined a little bit of light today. You gave somebody some hope. You made him feel included in this thing. It's not exclusive. You included him in that. And then the next day, I probably want to throttle him. But anyway, praise God for those moments. And he's a great kid. Everything annoying about him is the things that I don't like about myself. So that's, that's where we're butting heads, I think, right now. But I love him, and he's amazing, and he's mine. Please turn to Acts chapter 2. <clears throat> to finish with a couple of scriptures here. It is the day after Pent or it is after Pentecost, 3000 people have been saved, Jews and Gentiles alike and we're we're talking about this building of a kingdom and now people are different and and God is doing this work. And it says, we're going to go quickly through some of these things that I see here, but I want to read through Acts chapter 2 beginning in verse 42. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Verse 46, 
And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I see five things here that I want for us at Edgewater to understand. Again, I'm going to go through these quickly. Number one, the teaching of his word. It says they were committed to the apostles' teaching. Number two, it says they were committed to fellowship. They were surrounded by his people. So his teaching, his people. It says they prayed. They were of his spirit. It said they had all things in common. Number four, they served his people. As people had need, they took care of those things. In order for them to understand that people had need, they actually had to be connected to these people. They actually had to be around these people and serve these people. And then fifthly, at the, at the end of this, it says they were praising God. They had favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So they were more about his kingdom than they were just about their close-knit group or just their church, but they were about building his kingdom. I personally see for us as Edgewater in this, I could be wrong, I don't, but I, I don't know, but I see personally a clear distinction between home groups and church. And I see equal value in both because it says they were going to the temple and it says they were breaking bread together in their home and they're doing both of these things. And then like concentric circles that grow bigger, they had favor with all people. They had to be out in the world. How else did these lost people get saved? They were out. They were sharing the good news. So they were together in these home group settings, whatever you want to call it, and then they were at the temple together where it was a larger gathering, and then they're out in the world, taking the gospel out into the world. And so we have some people that are like, well, yeah, I come on Sundays or I come on Wednesdays, but I'm kind of too busy for home group. You know, life is kind of crazy right now for us. And I think we see some fruit in both. I'll tell you what, eight or nine years ago, we were in some different home groups, and every now and then it would stop and it would move to somebody else's house or whatever, but we built some amazing relationships that have lasted to this day with, with the Logues and the Folkstads and uh, the Tobins and Matt and Charity, and just, it kind of changed and it morphed for different seasons or whatever, but through it all, God's kingdom was connected and it was growing and it was building, and then we would gather here and so I see both of those things. And so for the person that says, well, we kind of have a home church thing. And I understand, like I've done that. And that's a great thing. It's good to have that close-knit thing. But if it's closed off and it's not open and it's not wanting and desiring for his kingdom to grow, I don't know if that's necessarily healthy. My daughter shared a profound thing with me yesterday or this morning when she was reading through Revelation. She's like, dad, look at this. This is so cool. She's like, it says in Revelation, in heaven, the gates of the kingdom are always open. <laughs> I was like, you have no idea how profound that is. You are so much smarter than me. It's open. The gates of the kingdom are open. It's not closed off. There's a time and place for that. 
nice, close, tight-knit groups where you can be vulnerable and share those things and look out for each other. I, I, we need more of that at Edgewater, but that can't be the only thing. And then we can't just have people that come on Sundays and Wednesdays. You have to have some community. Gather and scatter and gather and scatter and gather and scatter and make his name known to the world. And then we have those people that are like, well, my church is nature, you know. I feel most connected to God when I'm out in nature, when I'm out on the water. I agree with you. I do too. I, re- I feel really connected to God in that way. And it's actually scriptural. God says that he reveals himself through his handiwork and that, yes, those things can speak to us. But that's not church. That, that's not just church. Onion Mountain is not going to call me up and ask if it can make me a dinner when I'm going through a rough time. And, and the rushing Rogue River is an amazing thing, but when tears are flowing to the ground, the Rogue River is not going to pray for you. So you can meet God in those places and then gather and then scatter and gather and scatter. And you can say, well, Carrie, it kind of sounds like you're really promoting church and home groups and that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, I am. Because I love you. And I know that it's good and that it's healthy. Because this morning, I don't know where she is, but James's mom, Debbie Dennis, is sending me a message. Hey, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. I know you have to teach this morning. I'm praying for you. She did that a few days ago, too. It was a busy, crazy day. And she's like, hey, it's Bodnick weekend. I know it's crazy. I just want you to know I'm praying for you. That's what the church does. Kelly sends me a text. May the force be with you this weekend. Do you need anything? I'm praying for you. That's what the church does. Those little words, those few little words, those few little characters sent through a phone encouraged me, got me through that moment. Oh, okay, yes, his kingdom, his kingdom, his kingdom. I love what James shared a while back. He's talking about the church, and he said, he asked Matt what the church was, and Matt said, it's the vehicle by which God has chosen to save his people. And we at Edgewater believe the church is you guys. That's scriptural. Lord willing, we will build a building. But we don't look at that as our church. You are the church. I hope you know that. And he is trying to build a kingdom and he wants to use you to build that kingdom. And I want you to tell people that don't know that they have a father in heaven who loves them And he wants them in his kingdom. And if you're here today and you don't know that, ask somebody. Tell us that you need prayer. Tell us what you're struggling with. We want you to know that you have a father in heaven who loves you and he's building a kingdom and he wants you in it. Yesterday at the parade, I'm through the parade like this. I've never been in a marching band. Don't know anything about it. My kids, eighth grader, going through marching band. And then an hour later, my sixth grader's going. And I'm through the whole parade, like a mile with my phone, just like stepping over people, like knocking people down, like videoing the whole thing. I don't really care about marching band, but I care about my kids. And I'm proud of the gifts that they have, that they're using. They didn't get them from me, they got them from God. And I can't get enough of them. And that's how your heavenly father is. He can't get enough of you. He wants more and more and more of you. It was funny because I looked ahead of me and there was eight other parents doing the same thing. It's like... Caleb shared a study a while back and they said this. What kids want to hear most is not that you love them. Kids want to know that you like them. They want to know that you like them. Do you know your heavenly father likes you? Of course he loves you. Kids said, of course my parents love me. They have to. 
Do you know your heavenly father likes you? So much so that he wants to spend time with you for eternity in his kingdom. Final scripture, I promise. This is it. Ephesians 2.17 will end with this. He came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Amen to that. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Amen. Father, we thank you for your scriptures. We thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for the testimony of the saints. I thank you for this body of believers. I thank you that there is a uniqueness amongst us, Lord, a difference that you've bought us all with your blood, that you've brought us all here to build your kingdom. I pray that we would be brave and courageous people. I pray that you would bring opportunity maybe today, maybe at Boatnik. I don't know. I pray that you bring an opportunity for each one of us today to give testimony to the work that you're doing in our lives. Or that you would give us eyes to see the brokenhearted, Lord, and you would give us time and patience to sit and listen to somebody who is struggling right now. And you would give us the words to share For those that are struggling and brokenhearted, Lord, I pray that you would bring someone into their life, Lord, that would share the good news, that would bring them hope, Lord, through your word. We thank you, Father. We love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm